Well, Tyler just read from Acts, the third chapter, verses 1 through 10. If you don't have that open, I uh, would like to encourage you to go ahead and open to that. We'll come back to that in just a few minutes here um, after some preliminary words. Acts 3, verses 1 through 10. I believe it's on page 770-something in the few Bibles in front of you there. Well, we're in the series called The Three C's, and this is the first of the three C's this week. We'll talk quite a bit about the three C's. You'll get sick of them soon enough, I'm sure. Um, but what I want to do at the outset of our time together here is just review a little bit what we talked about last week. Just in brief form, I want to summarize in case you were not here to see uh, what we talked about, to hear the message last week. We want to review a few things about us. We talked about the state of our union and pointed out some things like financial resources. If you'll see here, giving is up. We have a year-to-date surplus of something like $31,000, and we have a weekly surplus of about $1,000 a week, income versus expenses. On top of our regular budgeted giving over the last two years, we have raised $85,000 for an outside-of-the-budget need uh, for the poles and back. If you'll see the blue line and the green line, we want the green above the blue. Green means that we are bringing enough money to meet our budgeted giving. And in the last 19 years, only one year until last year, were we able to meet that need. And this year, we're doing well in that regard. So I just wanted to let you see some of those things. As far as people, attendance is up 10% over a year ago. If you, if you look at these numbers, 206 people came in 2008 on average. Given the number of folks that we've lost to various causes, our attendance should be something around 152 this year. This is where it gets uh, exciting. In the last 11 months, the Lord has blessed us with something like 112 new folks. And yes, I count kids because they're people too. About 112 new folks in the last 11 months. And that's the point at which last week I said, and do hear this clearly, please, God's blessing us way beyond our ability in ways that make us look at that and think, you know, I, I know, frankly, I'm not that good. And I know that, I know that the Lord has blessed us in ways that are beyond us. So some good things are happening for us. The Lord is blessing us. And this is happening in a world where commitment to Christ and to the church is waning and decreasing to say the least. With each generation, this graph shows, you probably can't read the numbers, but it shows that the blue is the number of people who are committed to Christ, and red is the number of people who are outside of the Christian faith. And with each generation in America, Christianity is declining. Fidelity to the Christian faith is declining with each generation, friends. So I want us to to, to think about our vision, to think about who we are as a church so that we can be unified around a mission for us as a church. And so last week we talked about Proverbs 29, 18, which says in the KJV, where there is no vision, the people perish. Another version that, if you'll read with me here, says this. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. (laughs) Amen to that. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. In this series, I want us as a congregation to attend to what he's revealing to us. 
I want us as a congregation to be unified around the things that God's calling us to so that we can attend to what he is revealing to us. We talked about guarding the deposit. Guarding the deposit in Timothy that we talked about last week of those who have gone before us. And, and we here now as a congregation stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before. And it is my desire for us to guard that deposit as tightly as we can so that we can remain faithful to the cause of the gospel in the world. And so we talked mostly about that kind of stuff last week. I asked you, and maybe this is the, next, this is the last time you heard about it was this past Sunday, but I asked you last week to pray with us. On the 8th, we said, 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. So that we as a congregation can go to God and ask him to continue to lead us in the direction he has for us. So that we would remain humble to his vision for us. And that we would not get ahead of God in what's going on in our congregation. Because he's obviously blessed us. And the leadership is talking about some important things for our congregation. We held a prayer meeting last Wednesday night, and there were about 20 to 25 of us here. And we had a wonderful time of just asking the Lord to continue to show himself to us and to give us the faithfulness to seek him first and foremost in our lives. We had a good time Wednesday night doing that. And we want to ask you to join us for that this week as well. We want to ask that you would pray on the 8s, 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. I have mine set on my phone. 8 a.m. and 8 p.m., a little, a, little, a little blurb comes up in my phone. It says, pray for FCC's future. And I was with a family in our congregation Tuesday evening about 8 p.m., and we're eating, having a nice time, and my alarm goes off, and I think, well, what's that? Oh, yeah. So we prayed. Those of us there, about eight of us at the table, as part of a small part of our larger congregation, we prayed for our future. And it was a good moment for us, a good moment encouragement for me to see other people from our congregation standing humble before God so that he would lead us. We want to ask you to do that again this week. We want to ask for his clear confirmation on a few things that the leadership is discussing. We talked last week about the idea of hiring a full-time worship minister. We're going to talk a little bit about that in just a minute here. We'll get to Acts, don't worry. We talked a little bit about starting a second service when the need arises, and it's probably closer than many of you think. And we also talked a little bit about Shelley Smith's role as nursery and toddler coordinator, and perhaps bringing her into more of a part-time children's minister role. Last week, in fact, speaking of children's minister, we had 20 kindergarten and first graders in one classroom. 20 kindergartners and first graders. In a three-year-old class that we just started less than a year ago, which had nobody in it in a three-year-old class, it was uh, a class that was with another class, we have now had up to 12 three-year-olds in that one class on Sunday mornings. If many of you were to go downstairs during second hour, you would probably not literally recognize but 25% of those folks down there. And it's kid after kid after kid, young elementary school kids participating in Sunday school and worship here at First Christian Church. So the needs are there probably more than most of you are aware. On the worship question, there have been three main responses to what we talked about a little last week. There have been responses about this worship minister question. 
And I want to briefly say some things about this. The first is this. What does a worship minister do? Fair question. What does a minister, worship, minister of worship do? The elders have come up with a little job description. I'm just going to briefly read you a few of those things that we have in here. Facilitate the congregation's participation in meaningful and authentic worship. Okay, <laughs> sure. Shepherd the people under your care at First Christian Church. Total buy-in to our strategies at First Christian Church. It says, by the way, if you cannot subscribe to our strategies at First Christian Church, we are confident the Lord has someone else, somewhere else for you to minister. Oversight and leadership of transition to two services. Oversight, leadership, resourcing, and equipping to all of these various things. I'm going to read a bunch of them here real quick because we don't have time to delve into this a lot. But there's a lot involved in what we're talking about here. Um, audiovisual ministry team. Worship band, adult choir, women's ensemble, men's ensemble, accompanists, worship leaders, communion. Um, uh, no, I'm getting there next. The people who say the communion meditation. There you go. <laughs> There's got to be a better word for that. Um, children's choirs, handbell choir that was just begun, uh, special seasonal programming, which we haven't had a whole lot of in the last number of years. Uh, ushers and greeters, communion servers, communion preparation, scripture readers, baptistry, weddings, carillon. Many of you may not know we have carillon bells, and yes, we plan to use them. Spiritual and prayer support. That's a lot of stuff, folks. There's a lot involved in what a worship minister could do. One of the other questions that come up is, well, why would we need a full-time worship minister? Well... In a sense, we don't. We don't need a full-time worship minister. In fact, if you really wanted, we don't, we don't need a full-time Tommy to do youth and family life. We don't need a part-time Shelly to coordinate our nursery. We don't, we don't even need a full-time pastor or minister. I could just have a job during the week and maybe preach just on the weekends if you wanted. We could also not have a secretary to take care of our finances we could also not have an administrative secretary who, who, whose job it is to not just be receptionist, but, but to minister in ways that mean that, that, that she is making administrative work happen. We don't need any of these. <laughs> if you really want to get down to it, we don't need any of these. But if we as a congregation want to go deeper as Christians, if we want to reach more people for the sake of the gospel of Christ in the world, if we want to mobilize our gifts and our human resources and reach more people for the gospel in the world and provide excellent ministry and programming that is attractive to people and which involves them in ministry, and did I mention reach more people for the sake of the gospel in the world, then maybe we devote resources to those kinds of things. The third question that has come up about the worship minister question is why do we need somebody full-time? Let me read the job description again. <clears throat> um, actually, the other question that I failed to mention, there's another one. Does this mean we're going contemporary? Does this mean that we're going contemporary with a new worship minister who's full-time? 
No. But it does mean that we're going to be asking everyone, as the body of Christ, to submit personal style choices to the greater goal of the unity of the body. I personally believe that the best scriptural model for worship in the local congregation is a diversity that should be reflected in our unity as the body of Christ. And make no mistake, one's ability to worship in our services has far less to do with style and emotion and your response to those things as it does your decision to worship. Worship happens when you and I decide in our hearts and in our heads to declare the glory and praise of God no matter what. And I can be at a service that I don't particularly like. And I can call it worship. I can be an Episcopal, liturgical, high church service. Maybe they use candles. (laughs) Maybe there's an order of service that lists absolutely everything and, and, and it's, it's like a book in some churches, believe me. And I can participate in that worship because I've decided that God's goals and the unity of the body of Christ are higher goals than my personal style choices. Worship happens when we decide to declare the praises and the glory of God, which is what we're going to talk about in Acts 3 in just a moment here. I want to show you briefly our logo. This reflects visually the truth of the three C's process. I just want to briefly tell you that it's a logo that is both progressive and it progresses from one side to the next, and it's also all-encompassing. It's progressive for the new believer or for the not-yet-believer in this regard. We learn to celebrate and worship. You can, you can say all this stuff about salvation and what it means to be a Christian, and those things would be true. Repentance, belief in a certain set of doctrines, uh, baptism, pro- public proclamation of one's faith. All of those things are salvation. But salvation may be better described as the point at which we begin to worship God. And for the unbeliever, that point of celebration happens in that first stage. And we want to call those people to cultivate in their lives and in their relationships a place where God can work, a place where growth can happen. And that's the second stage. And then the third stage is how we communicate the gospel, both with our words and our behavior and our deeds in service and in missions. So it's progressive in that sense. But it's also all-encompassing for those who are already believers. We want to call people to live a 3C life, a life that participates in each one of those elements throughout one's week. If you're a believer and you celebrate with us on Sunday mornings, but there is no cultivation of growth in your relationship with the Lord, then you're missing an important piece of what it means to be a growing Christian. If you're a believer who comes with us to celebrate on Sunday mornings and to sing the praises of God with the body of Christ, and yet you communicate nothing to the world, about the truth of that worship, then something is missing in that person's life. And we want to call you, no matter where you are on the journey, to living that kind of life. So that's why we've put this together in in a visual representation. And one thing about the cross at the top. I know I'm talking fast, but there's a lot to get through before we get to the scriptures here. So um, the, the, the cross is highlighted when those various elements of worship and celebration of growth in cultivating in our lives and the lives of others, relationship with God and each other, and communication of the gospel. 
when those various elements come together, and we are, we are humbled before the cross, they come together to highlight the cross. It's a picture of the body of Christ, and I think it's pretty cool that we can look at this and say, this is what it means for us to be a church. This is what it means for me to participate in the body of Christ at First Christian Church. And so that's, that's the, uh, well, that's the logo. <laughs> I want to uh, say one other quick thing about what it means to participate in worship for us. I want to read you a few emails, um, just a couple blurbs from some people that I received. This is what's going on in our congregation, people. We had visited three other churches a couple months ago, but we're disappointed in the lack of warmth of the people. In one church, we weren't greeted by anyone other than the pastor himself. In contrast, you will be pleased to know, and yes, I am pleased to know, that we were overwhelmed by the warmth and acceptance of the people at First Christian Church. Both prior to the main service and after the service, before Sunday school, and after Sunday school, we had multiple families greet us and spend time with us. Listen to this. We enjoyed the eclectic worship experience. I'm not sure this is eclectic, but, but, it's, but it's, it's a mixing of styles. Yeah, we've got a worship band. We, they do a couple songs. But we also have a piano and organ. And we also mix in a cappella. And there's a whole, whole range of instrumentation that we don't even begin to use much in worship. And that's part of what we want to develop. Some of you play brass instruments. Let's use that some in worship. Some of you play other instruments that we don't even know about. We want to resource you in those ways. We enjoyed the eclectic worship experience, and I mean that in a good way, this person says. We were raised with hymns, but the last ten years have been in a church that primarily uses a praise band and newer songs. Therefore, we are able to enjoy all the variety within the spectrum of the worship of God's people. I heard it said once, and I quite agree, that our God is too creative in power and infinite in nature to be limited to just one expression of congregational worship. If you listen to the church growth experts, we should be deciding right now that we are going to be only traditional or only contemporary. And when we start this second service, according to the church growth experts, we should probably choose to make those two different services. I think that makes multiple congregations myself. I've been in a church where it's happened, and, and, well, yes, my father was the brunt of a lot of what happened there in a large church. So I've seen it and lived it. Here's another one. And, yes, I have permission for all these. Um, this one says, I thought you might like to hear a bit of encouragement. Today I was talking with a girl at work about her church. She said that her church is dying and then this person says, on the other hand, our church is alive and it's growing. I want to encourage you to continue to stand your ground on vision. Our church is becoming a relevant place for people to come and worship and be loved into the kingdom. I've never been to a church that is more welcoming than First Christian. Many people are excited about your messages. Yeah, we like to hear that too. Um, and, and think that you are the best preacher they've ever heard. No. <laughs> How did that get in there? I... Uh, actually, it probably should say, many people think you're the best that they've heard all week. Um, listen to this. This is telling. This is coming from a 30-something-year-old, by the way. I, of course, would love to, quote, 
rock out on Sunday mornings. But I know that there are others who love the hymns. And so because of wanting to be united as a church family, I have come to like the blended service. Friends, in the middle of a time like this, Satan wants nothing more than to divide us. And to ensure us that we are right and they are not. Make no mistake, when people begin to grow in Christ, Satan does not attack from the outside, friends. He wants my heart to be seething against people. And I must fight that. And I think the Lord wants us all to be unified around a common cause where something silly like a band versus an organ doesn't matter because you and I are about the common cause of the mission of Christ over and above and beyond ourselves. Somebody else wrote and said this, as I'm sure you know, Satan will not be thrilled about people coming to Christ and drawing closer to Christ the church's ministry. Satan would like nothing better than to use his own people, to use God's own people to divide. Friends, there have been times that I'm guilty of that division. There have been times where I have wanted to say, you know, if you don't like it, go somewhere else. But that's not the right answer either. And we all, we all must humble ourselves before a common goal and mission that is far more important than what we're sure is right. (laughs) Because we're sinners and we're not sure we're right about a lot of things that are not important. So there's the worship stuff. Let's talk about Acts 3. And let's look at this man's reason to celebrate. This man's reason to celebrate is our example for what we bring to the worship service and what we bring in praise to God. Acts 3 recounts the story of the healing of a lame man that was outside the temple. And we're not going to put all of the verses up there because we hope that you're following along in your Bibles. In fact, I, I, I sort of got the idea, maybe someday you'll come in and the Bibles won't be in the pews. And maybe you'll come in someday and we're not going to use this. <laughs> that means you'll have to look it up yourselves. Acts 3 recounts the story of the healing of a lame man outside the temple. It said, Peter and John were going up to the temple in verse 1. The tense of that phrase, went up, means that Peter and John had kept doing that. It was a part of their regular practice to go to prayer at the temple. And this time it was about 3 o'clock. That's the Jewish ninth hour, as it says. Now at the temple, it says there was a lame man uh, who was lame from birth. It says that in verse 2. The man who was lame from birth. He wasn't debilitated from a disease or he hadn't been crippled in an accident. Um, that's just always the way it had been for him. And he was probably over, uh, he was definitely over 40 years old as we learn later in Acts. So in this passage, 
this man who lived long before wheelchairs and, and, and ramp-equipped vans had to be carried, as it says in verse 2, had to be carried because he had never been capable of supporting his own weight. Evidently, there were friends or family members of his that carried him around. And so they laid him at this gate, this gate called the Beautiful Gate. And the temple for him was probably the best site to do his begging because it guaranteed heavy traffic. And the people going into the temple would have been tempted by beggars saying things like, oh, you're going to go worship God, huh? You sure would look good giving me a little money before you go inside, wouldn't you? And so he says to Peter and John, he says, where does he say it? Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Peter and John directed his gaze at him. Peter looks at him. He looks at and he fixes his eyes on him, it says in verse 4. It means that he's looking intently into this man's face. And Peter then says, look at us. Apparently, the man was used to not looking at people when he asked them and, and begged them. You can, you can imagine that this, this man had been, been humbled and lowered by years of that kind of, of begging So I can imagine him looking up and calling to Peter and John. Sirs, you look like such godly men. Surely you want to help a poor lame guy like me. The the Bible says Peter fixed his eyes on him and said, look at us. And so sitting on the ground, the lame man probably didn't look so much at the faces of those who gave to him. And he looked at their knees. So Peter wanted to see his eyes. The man gave him his attention, it says. And then in verse 5, it says he was expecting expecting to receive something from them, from Peter and John. Can't you see him there looking up, blinded by the light of the sun? And so he says to this man, I have no silver nor gold, but what I do have I give you. And then it says, in the name, in the authority of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. As apostolic representatives of the Lord, Peter and John miraculously healed a man right then and there through the Spirit's power. And then verse 7 says this. He, meaning Peter, Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. So the man in verse 8, let's get this one clearly here. Verse 8 is what we come to now, and it says this. Verse 8. The man sat there with his decorum intact and his hands neatly folded in his lap and squeaked out a mumbled, thanks. No. No. It says, leaping up, he stood to walk. It says, don't miss this. It says, he entered the temple with them. This beggar, this low loser beggar, worshipped God by leaping. It says he danced. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a fan of decorum. I am my mother and father's son. I am a fan of decorum, and I believe it's scriptural and biblical for us to have an order of worship that is planned, that creates an environment for us to be worked on by the Lord. 
I believe in that. But please hear this. If our hearts don't leap for joy at salvation, if our hearts don't leap for joy in worship, now we've got a whole different set of problems. Well, if I, I mean, if I were healed, I mean, praise God. I would jump too. If I were healed from something like that my whole life, if I were healed from something like that, I would probably dance as well. Really? Really? Because before we learned to worship the Lord, you and I were hell-bound enemies of the Lord. Rebels with our fists in the air. A condition that is infinitely worse than this man's physical infirmity. And yet our responses of praise, not just with our lips, but sometimes with our lives, is a half-hearted, barely mumbled, hands in our laps, thoughts off in space, too tired to participate. Thank you, Lord. Celebration is the first C for us. Celebration is the first C at First Christian Church because it's the first priority and the highest calling of the Christian. It's the highest calling of all humanity to proclaim and declare the worth and the glory of the God of the universe. If we do not, Scripture says, the rocks themselves will cry out. And woe to us if our hearts and sometimes our hands don't leap for joy at what God has given to us by His grace. Let us never depend on rocks for what we were created to do. At First Christian Church, we must pray and work and, and, and put together an environment among us where spiritual vitality and the presence of the Holy Spirit are felt in full measure because bringing people to Jesus depends on it. I depend on it. I come here for worship depending to meet the Lord with you because I know I need Him this week. I want us as the body of Christ, as First Christian Church, to create an environment among us, among our families, among our relationships with others, where we acknowledge God's sovereignty in our lives, His lordship over our lives, where we begin to name the ways He has blessed us. Because this worship here, friends, this worship gives us a vocabulary for life. It's the way we name what happens to us. It's the way we learn to speak to others with grace and with mercy and with love and with the gospel. We're bringing you here to send you out. So what can you do? A few quick little things. And these aren't hard. One thing that we've already talked about is prayer. 
you and I can immerse ourselves in talking with God so that we can ensure that our hearts and minds are in the same place where God wants them to be. God doesn't need our plans, believe me. But he does want us to be on board with his plans. And if these decisions that leadership are talking about are preemptive, then we're praying that he shows us that they're preemptive. If these decisions about a worship minister and a second service and expanding our children's ministry, if that's what God wants us to do, then woe to us if we have not done it and bathed it in prayer, knowing that we're doing what God wants us to do. So, 6.30 Wednesday night, we're going to do it again. Just right here, whoever shows up. In just a little group of people at 6.30 for about 20 to 25 minutes, we're going to pray, not just about our future as a congregation, but for how you and I can participate in that and be involved in those things. The second one is something that people think the church has talked about all the time, but we don't a whole lot, actually. Finances. First time I think I've mentioned it all year was last week, actually. We're doing well financially. Yeah. Comma, but... We want to continue to ask you, if you're new here and, and, and you're not giving, we want to ask you to, be, to participate in this. Invest with us. If you're not new and, and you're not giving what you know the Lord wants you to give, then participate with us. Because let's say, let's say we hire a full-time worship minister and the second service happens sometime in, in 2010, the beginning. And all of a sudden, we're not just doing 226, but like last week, we're doing 250 plus every week. We're going we're gonna to need to talk about children's ministry. We're going to talk about how we take care of one another in the second C and cultivating relationships with one another. And then the third one is to be here. <laughs> to be here as the gathered body of Christ. Think about what happens on Sunday morning. Every single Sunday morning across the globe, you and I participate in setting a world record for the number of people gathered for any one cause, ever. (laughs) Every single week. People around the globe gather for the purpose of worshiping God together. Because what we do here as the body of Christ is not it. It's a participation in the larger kingdom. So we want you to be here because it's an invaluable opportunity for us to like that man, to to, to do what that man in Acts 3 did. We're not expecting you, believe me. (laughs) I'd get a little freaked out if you started leaping for joy. But we do want to create an environment where you can experience God and the Holy Spirit can convict us and touch us and equip us to go out into the world to be believers who are filled with his love and grace so that we can speak truth and love and grace to a world that needs it. So that's the first C, to celebrate. We want to ask that you would celebrate with us. And if you are looking for a church home and want to participate in what we're doing here as a, as a baptized, as immersed believers and become a member here, we ask that you would do that. And if you want to participate in what we're doing by, by, by naming Jesus and celebrating and worshiping him for the first time by publicly declaring your faith and by saying, I want to be immersed in the waters of baptism so that I can declare publicly that I love him and he loves me and I want to worship him with my life. And we ask that you do that.
as we stand together to sing.